You know, when I was a kid, I uh, had difficulty fitting in and finding friends. And so I picked up a bunch of different hobbies. And one of the hobbies that I picked up and fell in love with is magic. And my favorite kind of magic is actually card magic. And if I had to go even more specific within that, I would say that my favorite kind of card magic is sleight of hand. Now, sleight of hand means that there's no gimmicks or pre-setups, but everything is being done right in front of you. Uh, I really, really do love magic. And my wife will tell you that when I'm stressed or I'm having a hard week and I need space to wind down, uh, I'll spend hours and hours watching magic videos on YouTube. Now, one of my most favorite videos is of a magician named David Blaine uh, doing some magic for Harrison Ford. They're in his house, in his kitchen. Harrison's very unassuming. And if you haven't seen who David Blaine is, he's kind of this weird, mysterious guy. He just has this way of talking like this and bizarre about himself. And so he tells Harrison Ford to, uh, he gives him a deck of cards and he says, okay, I want you to hold this deck in your hands. And, and Harrison, I just want you to think about the card. I just want you to think about it. You don't have to pick it out or anything, just think about it. And so Harrison sits there for a while and starts thinking about the card. And, and, then, and then David says, okay, just give me a second. And he goes, did you hear that? Did you, did you feel it? Your card just disappeared. It left the deck. To which Harrison Ford is like, yeah, okay. And so he says, go ahead, flip over the deck and look through the cards. And so Harrison Ford takes the cards and starts looking through each one. And lo and behold, he finds that his card is missing. It's not in that deck that he's been holding the whole time. And so then uh, he just kind of looks at David really confused. And uh, David Blaine says, hey, um, uh, pick a fruit. You know, there's like all these bowls of fruit on the kitchen. He goes, just choose one. And so uh, Harrison reaches out and grabs an orange, puts it on the table. David uh, grabs a knife and he cuts open the orange. And as the orange falls, there's a card rolled inside of the orange. And Harrison Ford is like, oh, like scared, spooked, okay, terrified a little bit. And he says, go ahead, we can pull it out. And so he pulls it out gently. And he goes, okay, before you unroll the card, what was your card? And he says, the nine of hearts. And Harrison Ford unrolls the card, and it's the nine of hearts. Amazing, right? I've watched that one clip like 30 times. <laughs> I love it so much. And the reason why I love it is, is partly because of the reactions of Harrison Ford. I love Harrison Ford, right? I'm a huge Star Wars geek. And so there's that. And he's terrified. Like he uses certain words to get out of my house in different words because he's so scared, right? There's a reaction that happens. But one of the reasons why I love that trick and why I love magic in general is because it's so special when a magician can take something that's so ordinary, so everyday, and do something extraordinary with it. Something that you just cannot imagine could even be possible, right? It's magical and mystifying, and it really is special. Now, we're currently in a sermon series called Bless, where we've been asking and seeking answers for questions on how we can share our faith with people without coming off as weird or strange. If you don't know, in this day and age, Christianity is seen as a lot of different things, and people aren't too keen to uh, hear your message if you're a Christian, there's something about it. 
And so we've been asking, well, how can we share our faith with people in a real way? How can we connect with them? And Bless is a way for us to reach out to our neighbors, friends, and people in our circles and, and share this faith that we love. And we've talked about this so far. We've covered two letters, right? B, which is begin with prayer, and L, which is listen with care. Today we're covering E, which means eat together. Everyone say eat together. All right, now for some reason, I keep getting to preach on things that seem so obviously clear. Last time I was here, I preached on love, right? What do you say when you preach on love? Love each other. Jesus loves you. God loves you. We should love each other. Good night. Go. Watch Seahawks or Patriots, right? That thing. What do you say, all right? Eating together. How many of you know how to eat? (laughs) What am I supposed to say? How many of you, uh, how many of you, yeah, you know how to eat, right? I mean, even my daughter who's almost 10 months old knows how to eat. And, and it's not rocket science or calculus. We know that when you eat with people, you connect with them. Such a simple thing. So today, I really have one proposition that I'd like to extend to you, and, and I want you to like have this in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. And it's simply this, that God can take our simple, ordinary, everyday act of eating and drinking at our tables and use them for extraordinary purposes. Like David Blaine with the orange. Right? That if we, got, if we give to God our tables and those spaces where we eat and drink, if we eat together, if we give it to God, he can take that ordinary thing and make it extraordinary. See, when God works in and through our lives, he takes normal and simple things. With Moses, he takes a rod. When God calls Moses, he says, what is that in your hand? And he says, I have a rod. Throw it on the ground, and all of a sudden the rod becomes a snake. And after that, it's called the staff of God. With David, it's five stones. Don't need armor, don't need weapons, you just need stones, five of them, and a slingshot. God takes simple, ordinary things, and he does extraordinary things with them. Now, before we go further, I'm going to ask you to do me a solid. And for those of you guys who don't understand what that means, I didn't make a grammatical error. It's a popular term that's used in uh, postmodern culture. And so it means to do me a favor, okay? Uh, I want this talk to be interactive and fun, and so this morning we're going to do something a little different. When I say the phrase... Uh, the people got hungry and said, I'd like for you to respond with, let there be food. All right, so we're going to practice this. When I say the phrase, the people got hungry and said, you say, let there be food. Okay, one more time. When I say, the people got hungry and said, let there be food. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to put my mic down. I'm going to do something so you know that this is going to happen when it happens and you don't get scared, okay? Don't, don't get scared. All right, now, now. You're, you're more than welcome to open your snacks and eat them, okay? Most definitely do that. Now, here's the thing. Every time I ask you to do that, and it won't be many times, right, I'm going to ask you to connect with the people around you around a certain question. And so for this time, while you eat your snack, I just want you to say something nice to the person next to you, right? Kind of huddle together, turn around, say good morning again, say, oh, look at your snack, say something. Just connect with them. Okay, good. Now that you've gotten acquainted... All right, I'm going to bring you back together by telling you a, a food joke, okay? Here's the joke. This is a bad joke, so I'm prefacing it by saying it's going to be horrible. All right, what did the one nut say to the other nut while running? You better watch out. I'm a cashew. <laughs> and now you're back. <laughs> All right. There's a story about Jesus uh, in the New Testament that really illustrates how the table can become a sacred place where ordinary becomes extraordinary, okay? Jesus' ministry starts taking off, and he's walking through a town. He decides to go through Jericho. 
you know, he's a prophet, preacher, teacher, healer. There's all this stuff. And so crowds kind of flock to where he is. And uh, he decides to make his way through Jericho. And as he did so, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus who wanted to see him. But Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And what that means was that he collected taxes. He worked for uh, the government at the time, and he was like the boss of them, the manager of them. And he was very wealthy, very successful. But people didn't like him because of his job. I mean, who likes people who collect taxes? Uh, If you work in the IRS, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to offend you. But it's true. We generally don't like when tax season comes around, and uh, the man or brother or whoever is collecting that stuff. So he was a tax collector, and people didn't like him. And so crowds, not a good place because they don't like Zacchaeus. But more than just the job itself, it's that usually tax collectors were very corrupt. right? They would charge people extra taxes, and then they would take the extra money and keep it for themselves, line their own pockets. And so it was a very corrupt field, and he was the head crony out of all of them. And so um, that was issue number one. Issue number two was that Zacchaeus was short. And being a short man, he couldn't see over the crowds. He couldn't view them, right? Now, some of you are tall, right? You don't feel the same pain I do, for instance, when I can't see over a crowd. I understand how Zacchaeus feels. You do feel pain, however, when you walk into an airplane and you hit your head, which I don't. So, it comes with this pros and cons. But in this situation, Zacchaeus can't be in the crowd because they don't like him. He can't see past him because he's short. So he decides that he's going to go ahead of the road to go into a tree and to go see over the crowd just to get a view of Jesus. And as Jesus is walking through the town, okay, imagine the crowds, the energy, the noise, the excitement, right? Times Square-like, all this stuff. And Jesus is interacting with these people and Zacchaeus is high above in the sycamore tree by himself. People probably don't even know he's there, right? Isolated, alone, just hoping that he can get a a glimpse of this man, Jesus. But all of a sudden, Jesus turns to him and yells, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. For today, I'm going to be a guest at your house. I'm going over to your place. Jesus invites himself over for dinner, right? Out of everyone, he says, you, I saw you, come down, let's go. And when this happens, there's two things that occur. The first thing is that the religious people in town say, oh my gosh, look at Jesus. He's hanging out with that crony Zacchaeus, that sinner. What kind of a person is he that, that Jesus would want to spend time with him? Well, obviously, he's, he's not holy. He must be a false teacher. How can, he, how can he hang out with someone as useless and worthless as Zacchaeus? Right? The religious people say that. The second thing that happens is that Zacchaeus experiences deep transformation. He says right there in response. He comes down, right? And he says, Lord, I will give away half of my wealth to the poor. And anyone I've cheated, I will repay four times the amount that I took from them. All simply because Jesus saw him and invited him to a space, to a table, to a meal. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Well, the truth is that we live in a world that is filled with many more people who are just like Zacchaeus, isolated, unseen, and suffering from loneliness. In a survey of more than 2,000 Americans, this was conducted by the Harris Poll last year, it showed that almost three-quarters, 72% of Americans experience loneliness. And for many, it's not just a -a once-in-a-while occurrence. A third of them said that they feel lonely at least once a week. Another survey by the General Social Survey found that the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled since 1985. 
And when people are asked, how many trusted confidants do you have? The most popular answer is zero. And you might think, well, we live in the age of social media, J.D., We're connected through Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and all of those other things. Well, a few years ago, the New York Times conducted a a research study that showed that the number of times people interact with social media is actually inversely related with how connected they actually feel. So what it means is that if you check your phone for likes or for snaps or for whatever 20, 30 times a day, it's actually not showing how connected you are. But you're trying to get a deeper connection from that, it's actually revealing how unconnected you are. Now, how much does an average person spend on social media really? Well, an influencer marketing company showed that the average person will spend five years and four months of their life on social media. That's a lot of loneliness, a lot of disconnect. Now, here's the thing. As we encounter these Zacchaeus-like people in our lives, we have two choices. One is to be like the religious people and just judge them and see them as being less than us. And I know we judge the Pharisees and we look at them, but listen, they were religious people. They were the ones worshiping in the synagogue. They were the ones following the commandments. They were the ones living right. They were actually very, very do-gooders in their community. But somehow in trying to do good, they missed it, right? They're there trying to see Jesus and they completely miss the one who's on the margin. It's so easy for us to be religious, to be here, to get Jesus for ourselves, to sing these songs, to get Jesus for me, but to completely miss the person who's out there. So option one is that we can be like these religious people. Option two is that we could be like Jesus and see those who are unseen, acknowledge the isolated, and invite them into our spaces to eat and drink. Remember I said that God wants to take your ordinary practices and spaces and he wants to do supernatural things with them. So the question that I want to challenge you with this morning is who is the Zacchaeus figure in your life? Who is the person that is unseen? Maybe it's the kid at school who's eating lunch by himself or herself, right? Maybe they smell funny or maybe they're just being bullied on. Right? Maybe no one likes to hang out with that person or they pull a prank every single time lunchtime or they're just alone. Maybe it's the neighbor that no one wants to talk to. Everyone knows the neighbor lives there because he has the same walking route, you know? It's the same thing, but no one really wants to talk to that person and there's all these rumors about this person, all this kind of a, well, I heard that, you know, back in the day he ate bears. Oh, I, you really? I heard that he ate bears who ate bears. You know, this kind of thing, right? Or maybe it's a coworker that is listening to headphones and reading that book during lunchtime, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Introverts, I get it. People like to read. They like to be alone. But every single day at the job that you've worked at for years and years and years, you see that person being alone? Maybe that person is actually dying for connection. Or maybe it's the family member who no one reaches out to or sees. Who is your Zacchaeus? The amazing thing about this story is that when Jesus sees him and invites him into that space, transformation takes place. We don't even know what they did when they actually ate. His life was forever changed because someone acknowledged him. We're going to do something really quick right now. We're going to take a moment of silence. And um, as I pray and, and lead us into silence, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to give you a name. We're going to do it collectively right here. To give you a name, to bring someone to mind that you could reach out to this week.
And so I'll pray. We're entering to silence. And then ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart and give you a name. Father, we come to you now wanting to see the Zacchaeus people in our lives. Holy Spirit, reveal those individuals to us in this silence as we enter in together. Father, we're grateful for the things you show us. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. In this moment right here, what I want you to do is share with the people around you the person that came to mind. Now, if it's a person sitting next to you, don't say their name. That's awkward. Okay? If it's someone in the church, you don't want to use their real name, that's fine. But share about this person that came to you. And if you didn't have someone come, that's okay. But someone right now, just take a few moments and share. Go ahead. All right. I'm going to bring the sermon to a close, okay? Now listen, I want you to keep that Zacchaeus person in mind. I'm going to share one quick story. Uh, It was Christmas Eve of last year. I was on Facebook, and I was looking at Facebook Live, and I noticed um, that there was a student who had posted this post. His name was Chris, and I knew Chris. He was a theology student. We spent time in chapel together. We hung out a lot. We did all this stuff. But in this post, Chris was like, his clothes were dirty. It had rained the day before. It was worn out, and he was very clearly drunk. He was inebriated, okay? And uh, as I was watching this Facebook Live video, Chris was talking about how he hadn't eaten in days and how he had um, not had found any shelter and, you know, he just had been drinking and he was kind of boasting but not really about how he found himself somehow walking along the train tracks right by a tea station in Boston. And as he was walking, he accidentally touched the third rail, which is the one that you're not supposed to touch, and it electrocuted him, shocked him, right? And he should have died. He should have died. But in this post, he was talking about how uh, God had saved his life. Chris, I told you, was a theology student, believing guy, called to be a pastor, all right? Someone that I had worked with at the college when I was one of the chaplains there, okay? And so here he is, drunk, stupid. I should have died, but God saved me, laughing about this, right? And in this moment, I felt God say, J.D., you need to meet with Chris. Okay, it's Christmas Eve, all right? My daughter was born nine days before, right? I don't really know this guy, and I don't know what he's been doing, and he's smelly, dirty. This is not a situation that I'd want to go into, to be honest, right? And again, the Holy Spirit's like, you need to reach out to him. And so I, I pull him up on Messenger, and I, and I say, Chris, where are you? And he says, well, I'm, I've just been kind of trying to sleep on trains. So I've been riding the train like all day. But I could meet you here at this time. And I said, okay, I want to meet with you. Let's meet, right? And so we decided to meet. And, of course, I have to go tell my wife, who is, you know, holding our nine-day-old daughter. And so I go, and I explain the situation about Chris and how I knew him. But very clearly in this video, he's not who he is. Something's happening, and I need to go figure it out. And she's like, gives me that look, right? Like, do you want our daughter to be fatherless? <laughs> I'm talking about like that look, like, are you serious? And I'm like, Sarah, I can't explain this to you, but I, I got to go. And I got to spend money and do stuff. I, don't, I just got to go. God tell me to do this. I got to do it. And so she's like, okay. I was like, I'm sure he's safe. I know this guy, right? Christian called by God. He's, something's up, but I know him. And so I go and meet Chris and He's been homeless, clearly, for some time. You know, smelly, stinky, dirty, all of those things. Comes into my car. And I say, Chris, I was like, it's Christmas Eve, man. Like, Merry Christmas Eve. And he's like, yeah. And I said, when's the last time you've eaten? And he couldn't remember, 
right? He'd just been drinking, right? Um, and he's been trying to hydrate, but he couldn't remember when he got water. And I said, okay, I want to take you out to lunch. And I said, you can choose wherever you want to go, right? And he's like, so grateful to just be there. He can't think of any of the restaurants. And finally, I say, let's go to a place called Assembly. We get to Assembly. We sit down. The waitress kind of looks at us funny, but I don't care. I say, Chris, you order anything you want. It's on me. And he says to me, J.D., I, I, I haven't eaten, and if I eat a lot now, I'm going to get sick. His stomach had shrunken from not eating. So he said, I'll just drink some water and maybe have some crackers. I said, Chris, no, that's not okay. It's Christmas Eve. You order whatever you want, you eat it here, and then you take the left with you, right? He doesn't have any refrigeration or anything like that. Eat it for dinner. So we start sitting down, waiting for our food, and uh, I'm just like, man, how are you? What a silly question, right? (laughs) But what else do I know to do? How are you, Chris? And he's like, I'm okay. There have been better days. And he's like, how are you? And I'm like, bro, I'm so tired. My daughter's nine days old, and (laughs) I haven't had any sleep. And he starts telling me stories about his daughter, who's about nine years old. And he starts telling me about the memories that he used to have and and how close they were and and all of this stuff. And I said, hey, do you see your daughter much? And he says, no, you know, my, my, her mom won't let me be near her when I'm like, get like this. So I said, what happened, Chris? And he tells me a story. Turns out that Chris was a recovering alcoholic. And there were some things that happened on campus, which I had heard about, but they pushed him into this like, dark place and he took one drink and the down, downward spiral just began and all of a sudden he was homeless no place to live and we started talking and you know we were just talking about christmas and how it is and he, he told me that eight years ago actually on christmas eve um he uh he was beaten for dead basically and left for dead um outside of a bar and you know he's like it's so funny i'm eight years here now and i feel like i'm in the same place and i said chris Eight years from now, I don't know what's going to happen in your life, but you don't need to repeat this cycle. I know you. I know that God has a plan for your life. I know God loves you. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I believe that you can get on the the path to hope, right? And we had a pretty normal meal. Pretty simple. We ate food. We did stuff. We stopped by the grocery store. I wanted to get him some Cliff Bars, right? This is silly, JD. I walk in and I'm like, Chris, get everything you want in the grocery store. And he's like, I have a backpack and a lot of it I can't like cook. I just have to really eat it. And so we get Cliff Bars, right? We get that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I pray with him. I hug him. I say, I love you. I believe in you. I'll see you later. Send him on his way. A simple encounter, right? A normal encounter. Just a moment in Chris's life. This last week, um, I saw something on Facebook, again, from Chris. We're friends. We keep in touch. And uh, what I saw was that he's now sober, completely clean, and he's uh, praying and asking people on Facebook um, and asking them to pray with him because he had a job interview in the financial district of Boston. And uh, it was crazy. He wrote one of those long posts that talked about the journey he's been on and how hard it's been. And he was thanking the people who have believed him and walked with him. And, and this is what it is, right? I'm not saying that I can't take credit for that. That was Christmas Eve. It was one meal I had with Chris. But here's the thing. That was one moment. Who knows all the other countless people who saw moments for him? Maybe they came through messages. Maybe it came through coffee. Maybe it came through hanging out. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around this world, Sammamish, the plateau, the surrounding areas. It's so nice. It's like <laughs> my wife and I laugh at each other because we're like, this place is too nice. It's, people are nice. And like, it's just, but I guarantee you there's people who are hurting and lonely in our circles, 
Right? They don't show it. They try so hard not to show it. And here's the thing, church. If we want to see God move in our church, it's not going to be blessing people here. It's not going to be blessing each other. We're good at that. I've been the recipient of that. It's gonna, we're going to see amazing things happen in Pine Lake Covenant Church when we start blessing people out there. When we invite them into our homes, and then we invite them into this space. And so my challenge for you this week is simply this. That Zacchaeus person, whoever they are, invite them to your table, invite them to your space. Allow God to take that ordinary act of eating and drinking and watch him do extraordinary things. You may not see it right away, but this is how Jesus works. This is how God works. And if we put faith and trust in that and have the courage, then God will be faithful. Let me pray for us. Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion now, God, would you remind us of the love that you have for us, but also of the love that you have for the Zacchaeus people in our lives. God, inspire us to reach out, just like you did for Zacchaeus, just like you do for us, time and time again when we turn from you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.